All right, so uh, today we're going to start a new series. Um, We just finished two weeks ago a sermon series that lasted quite a bit of time uh, on culture. And so now we're going to be moving into, uh, obviously, a new one, um, which I guess we'll call arete, which may not really mean anything yet. But today is really going to be like an introduction to what we're going to be doing. um, I don't know how many weeks. We'll just see what the Lord does. Uh, But to begin with all of this, if we can actually show that video... You don't have to switch the screens. There you go. Can you make it a little louder? switch back. Thank you. So Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can mere mortals do to me? All right, I want to ask you a question. Which uh, feelings or which type of feelings did you have uh, while that was playing? If you kind of just think about the music, the pen, just give me, give me something. Like what were you experiencing or feeling? Yeah. Calmness. Calmness? Cool. Anything else? Amazement, right? Well, the Moonlight Sonata is actually a dirge. It's a funeral dirge. Okay. So I was experiencing death itself and okay. the birth of the new man. Cool. So it's like, like I, I feel like as I'm listening to it and as this is going, I'm like putting off myself. Like if, if I'm already dead and I'm walking in his and I'm, and I'm a 
All right. What can, what can mere mortals do to me if I'm alive forever? Deep, man. Deep. All right, so what we have, uh, I'm not sure what you experienced, all of you, but hey, I was kind of thinking like amazement or peace, calmness. Uh, essentially, what you just saw was, I, I think, something pretty interesting. Uh, the person that was actually writing Psalm 118 uh, is a woman by the name of Connie Chen. She is uh, a master penman. There's such a thing. She's one of 12 human beings on planet Earth who have the title Master Penman. The calligraphy, the art by hand, only 12 people on planet Earth get that title. She is one of them. And you receive it when you can show that you can do calligraphy and write, handwrite, perfectly. Okay? Second thing you saw or experienced was Beethoven Piano Sonata Number 14, also known as Moonlight Sonata. Beethoven! And then, of course, Psalm 118, verse 6, the Word of God. What you just experienced right there, and one of the reasons why I believe some of you felt a calmness and a peace there, what you really experienced there is something which we call arete. Arete is the Greek word for excellence. Beethoven. That's kind of excellent. Connie Chen, one of 12 people on planet Earth, her handwriting is considered arete. Excellent. Psalmist. Not sure which psalmist. I'm not sure if it was David. It doesn't tell me here. Uh, but one of the psalmists, right, is writing Psalm 118. I mean, all of it right there is essentially a, a notion of excellence. And so the sermon series is going to be essentially on excellence. Now, uh, what we have here, um, as I skipped ahead here, actually, arte uh, is referenced. It's a Greek word, right? Um, so arte is referenced four times in the New Testament. Peter and Paul reference it uh, those four times, uh, and they translate it, the word arete, into English as virtue. So when you see in the scriptures the word virtue, it actually is the Greek word arete. Let's, let's read a couple examples. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and arete, glory and virtue, but really it's glory and excellence. Okay? So what we have here is this. God has actually called us from his glory and from his excellence. Everything he does is excellent. And he made us and called us forth from his glory, from his presence, but also from his virtue, which the Greek word is actually excellent. Uh, 2 Peter 1.5, just a couple of verses later. So also for this very reason, <coughs> giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And goes on for quite some time. But what we have here is something bizarre. Add to your faith. It actually says, add to your faith something. And what are you to add to it? Arete. Virtue. But it's not just virtue, it's excellent. 
Now, I don't know if anyone's ever heard like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to add something to my faith? Yes, the scripture says yes. You don't stop with faith. From faith, you go to virtue. You go to excellence. This might be a little bit of a hard one. It's going to be a little hard one because it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a little tough. Because what does arete really mean according to the Greeks? According to the Greeks, <clears throat> arete is excellence in body, soul, and spirit. According to Greek, the Greek mind, a man is to be excellent in all three of these if he is to be complete. In Greek philosophy, if a man is going to be complete, he needs to be excellent in body, soul, and spirit. This is one of the reasons why when you see Greek statue, all of their guys and their gods all have like six packs and are ripped and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't because that they were worshipped. It's not because they worshipped the aesthetic nature of man. Okay? They weren't like these people that were just worshiping beauty. That was a representation that someone who has reached that type of physique was an example of arete. It was an example of pursuing excellence in something. So when you watch Connie Chun write that name, when you heard Beethoven being played, you were witnessing excellence in something. And it's very refreshing when you see that. Has anyone been like you, you saw someone work, a carpenter, or you saw someone paint, or you saw someone play something, you saw someone, it doesn't matter what the craft is, I know I've been a teacher, and I've, I've seen older teachers, I've seen their lessons, and I see a lesson, and I see them do their lesson in excellence, and it's like, it speaks. When you really see someone do their craft with excellence, it's like, whoa. At least for me, I stop, I'm like, Wow. Now, this is not just some kind of vain Greek philosophy. Like, all oh, the Greeks were looking for excellence in body, soul, and spirit. It's actually biblical. It's actually quite Hebraic. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the Lord God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we take a look at this, we, we see something interesting here. He says, says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. So he has sanctified us, amen? Yes, he sanctified us. But now, may your whole spirit, it signifies that now there's something you have to do. From faith, 2 Peter says, add something to your faith. Add something to your sanctification. Add virtue, excellence in things. Paul the Apostle now is saying, all right, be excellent in spirit, body, and soul. So we get sanctified, but now there's something that we have to do. What we have to do is, it says here, well, wrestle out, work out, essentially your salvation with fear and trembling, work out, arete, work out completeness and excellence in all that you do. Right? Everything that you do, do as if you're doing it unto the Lord. But here it's specifically saying, look, you're not just a spirit. You're not just a spirit. We are a soul and also a body. 
Now, a lot of us get all hung up and we focus on spirit. My spirit, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Yes, but now that you're saved, Paul is saying, yeah, now work out your soul. Whoa. Work out your body. Huh? Yes. Work it out. Now, why? Uh, one of the uh, famous uh, Christian writers of the past, Thomas Merton, incredible man, says, if a man is to live, he must be all alive, body, soul, mind, heart, spirit. There is supposed to be a completion to us. We are a complete man or woman. God has come to bring forth complete restoration, not just of your spirit, but restoration of your soul and also your body so that you can be arete, so that you can add unto your faith arete, add unto your faith excellence in all that you do, excellence in your spirit, excellence in your soul, excellence in your body. That is the full restoration of man. And that is what God has come to do. Now, we don't always understand this because we we sometimes get lost in the weeds. The reality here is man is comprised of three parts. He's comprised of the spirit. He's comprised of the soul. And he's comprised of the body. It's actually quite a beautiful thing. Because we see here is man is actually what we call in theology tripartite or he is triune. Just like God, God created man in his image and in his likeness. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Man is also triune. Man is, in fact, spirit, soul, and body. But here is why we're doing this sermon series. So many of us have only focused, as we said, like we only focused on Jesus. We forgot about the Holy Spirit. We only focused on the Holy Spirit and you forgot about God the Father. There's a package deal, man. And if you want to walk in the full gospel, the full anointing on your life, the full destiny of your life, you need to start thinking about all of you. Not just your salvation, but now also your soul. And yes, your body. Because that is what the scripture is saying. Add unto your faith excellence in body, soul, and spirit. It's a tough one. There's a bit of a confusion uh, between soul and spirit. Um, you have a spirit, and you also have a soul. Genesis 2.7. If someone wants to look that up in your Bibles, that would be great. <clears throat> See what your translations have to do with the, with the Hebrew here. It says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became dot 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 can we have some suggestions from the NIV the, the NASB the message the this all, all this out there what do you got there a living being the man became a living being alright that's uh, King James version right there right a living soul there we go I'm sorry that's a new King James uh, Bill got King James anyone else Living creature. I don't want to know what translation that is. It's weak. Yeah, it's weak. So weak. All right, so we got creature, we got being and soul. All right? Now, what happens here is we're not going to get into a translation fest, uh, but the King James Version uh, translates from the Hebrew most specifically, and that's why sometimes it doesn't quite make flowing sense. Um, So... What we have here is this. In the Hebrew, it says, God breathed 
into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became la nefesh haya, a living soul. Not a living creature. Being has a sense of it, but he breathed into him and made him a nefesh. Nefesh is different than ruach. Ruach is spirit. Nefesh is soul. So we can't confuse soul with spirit. But what's something really beautiful here is God's doing a little bit of wordplay. God, ruach, God breathed, because that's what breath and spirit is the same thing, into his nostrils, the ruach of life. So he breathed God's life, God's spirit. God breathed God's spirit into us, and his spirit made us a soul. His spirit created a soul for us. We are the only creature on planet Earth, sorry to those people that love your cats and dogs, that have a soul. We're the only ones. Because we are the only ones that God said, I am not going to just make you. I'm going to breathe my spirit into you and make a soul. We're the only ones that have a soul. And so what is soul anyway? Nefesh. Uh, In Greek, soul is psyche. God breathed into us. We're not talking about your spirit. Your spirit is something different. We're talking about your psyche, your soul. God gave you a free will, mind, thinking, rational part to you. That is the soul. Your spirit is something different. Your soul is, is you. Your soul is that thing inside of your head that's telling you what to do and how to act and how to be and all those kinds of All of that rationale, all that logic, all that thinking, all that emotion, all that personality, all of that worry, all of that anxiety, all of that that's in there, that is your psyche. You are a person of being. You are a sentient, thinking, free will individual. God made you that way. It is beautiful and it's part of you. And it's different than the spirit. Because you're made up of mind, or rather soul, spirit, and body. For example, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Meaning like talking about like when you die. When you die, the dust, we came from the dust, and our dust shall return back to the dust. As it was. But the spirit, not the soul, the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So our bodies go back into the earth and, you know, fertilizes the lawn at the graveyard. Our soul, we haven't talked about yet, but the spirit is going to go back up to God who's the one who gave it. So there's a difference between the spirit and the soul. The soul is your rational psyche. Your spirit is essentially your spirit man, that which is going to return to heaven. That is what that is. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, in case you're not believing me here, it says, The Holy Word cuts through both the soul and the spirit. In biblical thinking, there are three parts of us. The body, the soul, and the spirit. The body's going to the earth to, to, to fertilize the daisies. The spirit is going up into heaven. The soul is the part of the mind. 
Now, I am being purposely redundant and a little bit of annoying here with this. Because New Age philosophy has essentially hijacked this godly principle. Like I'm penning this and writing this, I'm like, oh man, this sounds like really New Agey, you know? Look, the New Age people have, have, have tried to take this over. Now, oh, spirituality and your soul and your chakra and your this, that, and all those kinds of things. They, 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 they bastardize it, right? They demonize it. God made you something. He made you a body, a soul, and a spirit. And so what we have here is, yes, there is this kind of three section. So let's just talk a little bit about it. Because for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about your spirit, your soul, and your body. <clears throat> what is your spirit? Your spirit is the place of faith, right? It's the place where you come to faith. It is also the place of the scriptures talking about the gifts of the spirit, prophecy, words of knowledge, speaking in tongues, all that kind of stuff. That is your spirit. It's a gift of your spirit, of what's going to return back unto God. Uh, it's also the place of your spiritual man or woman, the place, the thing that needed to be reconciled to God, that deeper internal being inside of you. That's your spirit, man, right? Your spirit, man. Now, your soul is something that's different. Your soul is like the next step out. If you think about it like an onion, the inner, 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 inner courts, right? The, the inner of the temple, the holy, holy, the kadosh kodeshim, the sancta sanctum, as they say in Latin. Like, the holy place inside of you is the internal, is the spirit, right? And then outside of that is like the outer courts of the temple. The outer courts of the temple, the next layer of the onion is your soul. Your soul is the place of your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality of who you are, your general well-being, the place where you're thinking, the place where you're rationalizing. Guys, this dichotomy right here is why Paul the Apostle is saying, man, why is it that I don't do what I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do? He is commenting not on his now new sin nature. He's commenting that my spirit man is in conflict with my soul man. My soul, my mind wants to do this, but my spiritual man that has been signed, sealed, delivered, sanctified, set free for all things, knows to do this. But my mind is getting in the way and wants to do this. Why is there a conflict between the two, Paul is saying? Now, a lot of people get this twisted and they get themselves, they punish themselves. Oh my gosh, have I lost my salvation? No, your spirit has been saved. You just got to work on your soul a little bit now. My Lord. You got to work on your mind. There has to be a renewing of the mind. You have to learn to be transformed in your mind from glory to glory until you see Christ Jesus face to face. You haven't lost your salvation. You just got to sanctify your mind. The problem here is that throughout the ages, I believe... Not, not many churches have chosen to really dissect this apart. Maybe some of you have, and that's awesome. But I know I have, and it's like, oh, you, are you saved? Is your spirit saved? Yeah, but you know what, man? My soul, my psyche needs a little freaking help. You know? Like, I, my, my spirit man knows I should not be doing this, but you know what? My mind and my will wants to do something else, and so where's the disconnect? And people start getting to this head trip. Oh, man, am I sick? Did I lose my salvation? Like, what did I do? And all, ah, no. Unless you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're good to go. Your soul just needs to be submitted to the spirit man inside of you. Which even Paul the Apostle had a hard time with. 
And even Jesus, not that he necessarily had a hard time with, he's like, Lord, if you take this cup from me, it'll be cool. But if not, then fine. You're allowed to be like, whoa, I don't know if I can do this. Now, the next part is the body, the body, the shell, the physical shell, the organs, the systems, the health, the senses, the body. The body is the shell, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be more than that. If you're going to add unto your faith virtue. That's a tough one. It needs to be more than a shell if you want to walk out and adding to your faith true, biblical, excellence, virtue. All right, why are we doing this sermon series? Why? Because the whole man needs to be restored to excellence. The whole, God came to set you free in body, in soul, and in spirit. Too many of us focus just on the spirit. He came to reconcile it all. Don't be just thankful with just the spirit. I want my soul, my mind, my will, my thinking to be restored. Yes. Yes, I want my body to be restored. He has restored your spirit, but he also wants your soul, your psyche to be transformed from glory to glory. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be healed. That is what excellence is. He wants the whole thing. There's another reason. Not only is it just biblical that God wants you to be completely restored and to be excellent in all things. I'm, when I'm talking about excellence, I'm not saying that you know, your mind has to be like Albert Einstein's mind. I'm not saying your body has to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, in his prime. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Don't allow Satan to get in the weeds and start telling you that, you know, he's just talking about like we have to be like these vain kind of perfect, perfection. No. But we are to pursue an element of excellence to our lives. That's just biblical. There's another reason why I feel that we should be getting into this. It's not just because that's what God wants for us, but also because of revival. Okay? There have been several revivals in the United States. The first great awakening, the first great revival, and when we're talking about revival, (coughs) we're talking about like a complete paradigm shift, right? Where people in the church have been a little lax, they've been kind of holding back a little bit, Everybody committed to the Lord. And then there's a great move of the Spirit of God that shakes us, that rattles us. It says, man, God has destined us for more. I want to draw closer to Jesus. I want to be more on fire for Him. I want to live for Him like a flame. I want to change my culture. I want to change my generation. I want to change my workplace. It happens, and it happens at different times throughout history. In 1735 to 1743 is the first great awakening of of Edwards and Whitfield, which I talked about a little bit here. But notice, it's eight years long, and then gone. Gone. Second great awakening, 1810 to 1850, all right, that's 40 years, but 40 years comes and 40 years, it's gone. Gone, gone, gone. 
And we wait a whole about 55, 60 years. In the early 1900s, you have the Pentecostal awakening. It's where the Assemblies of God uh, comes out of. That's when uh, you have uh, uh, the charismatic movement that starts to come out of that. Okay? Then it waits all the way up until the 60s and 70s. There's the Jesus movement. Some of us young bucks in here are, are, are the kids, are the sons and daughters of the parents who got hit with that anointing in the 70s. God came and saved all the hippies. Or some of the hippies. And they're like, whoa! Zen Buddhism and all that kind of stuff? This, this, this Jesus is much better than that. And so a bunch of people, we're actually, a lot of us are, are living out of the inertia, out of the real inertia of that movement of God. That's like your Keith Greens and all that kind of stuff. Like, Lord, you're beautiful. and All, all that beautiful time, right? My, that's where my parents got saved. That's where my in-laws got saved. Anyone else here? You're like, you can trace your spiritual roots back to the 70s. Yeah, right? So this is when it happened, right? But boom! Great move of God. I mean, so crazy was it on Time Magazine. One of the leading articles was the Jesus movement. Uh, it was somewhere in the early 70s. They're like, what's happening to our young people? Come on now. Now, here's what's powerful. What's powerful is every generation has a true revival, but it doesn't seem to last. And my generation has not seen a, a true earth-shattering revival. I know we got little, like, little things of it. I get it. We got Toronto Airport uh, Blessing. We had it down in Florida, Brownsville, right? We, had it, we have it right now out, uh, out in California, up in Reading Church. There's little sprinklings of it. I get it. But we're talking great awakening. We're talking about things that shake the foundations to society. Things that shake the foundations inside of your soul. And you can never, ever be the same again. And we're talking about the church, by the way. The church can never be the same again. We're not talking about the lost. To be revived means that you were once alive. And you grew dead. We're talking about the lost. We're just saying, oh, they're lost and they come into salvation. But we're talking about the church, a stirring in the church. So we asked the question, I've asked this before, why is it <clears throat> that these revivals don't last? And we have the worship team coming up. And I know we all have a bunch of different ideas. And we could, we could, I mean, we could write down lots of ideas. But <clears throat> I was just going before the Lord and there was a, there was a couple... And even when I wrote down the couple, I'm like, oh, wait, there's even more now, right? Um, but um, first one that I actually talked on a, a while ago uh, was that a lot of times when these revivals come, what happens here is man tries to control it, right? Man's ego gets in the way. Leaders start to conflict with one another. People start saying, well, my church is going to do it this way, and you're going to do it that way, and it creates all this mess. <clears throat> Some people actually uh, do believe that revivals are not supposed to last. I've heard, I've heard this theory, and I've been kind of like actually kind of a part of that theory for a while, uh, that like revival happens and stirs the church body up, and then it's no longer revival. They just are now doing what they were supposed to do, and so they were revived, and now they're alive, and now they go, fine, whatever. I mean, that's, in some regards, it's kind of like a semantic argument. Like, is it a revival if you were dead, but now you're alive? But fine, I, I just want a great move of God to not stop. Amen, if you want to call it, it was revival, but now it's not revival, it's now morphed itself, and it's whatever. I just don't want the Spirit of God to stop. But it does, in large terms. 
Not in your own individual lives, maybe, but in large terms, it does in fact stop. So this brings me to the third reason of why I believe revivals don't last long. Yeah, you got the ego, we got all this kind of stuff, we got all that, yes. <laughs> but I believe in part what's going on here is revivals do not focus in my study of it, they do not focus on the whole man. Some of them had some of it. And you can argue with me about that, but I have never heard a revival preacher saying, hey man, your spirit man is saved. Get saved. Okay, you got saved. Um, all right, now let's work on your soul, your mind, and your emotions. I've heard that. I've never heard a revival preacher say, all right, your spirit is saved, your mind is being restored, now go to the gym. Stop eating fast food. Stop drinking soda. Stop watching TV. Get up, pursue excellence in body, in soul, in spirit. Add unto your faith virtue and excellence so the world sees you and says, you are completely different than everyone else. When everyone else, 33% of Americans have diabetes. 33% of Americans are morbidly obese. One in three men die of cancer. One in two, one in two uh, men die of cancer. One in three women die of cancer. How do we go and say, I've been touched by Jesus when I'm unhealthy? In my spirit, in my mind, and yes, even our bodies. I have never heard a revival minister preach like that because it's too sensitive and it hurts. I get it. But I'm telling you, if we want the kingdom of God to come, we don't all have to be models. We all don't have to be Arnold Schwarzeneggers. We all don't have to be Albert Einsteins. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to pursue excellence in all things in our lives to show the Lord that we are serious about what he's called us to. See, they were concerned about your spirit in light of eternity, but they weren't serious about your health and your mind and your body now. And it's the same thing as if you just focus on God and you don't focus also on Jesus, it's the same thing as focusing on your spirit and not focusing on your body. We have to focus on all things. In the evangelical church, we pursue the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, but that is only one third of you. There needs to be the full restoration of all things inside of you. It's not to put pressure on you. It's not to guilt you. It's just this is the call. We are to be strange. We are to be different. We are to look different. We are to act different. We put different things in our mouths. The Jews refused to eat pork. The Greeks had swords to their neck. Just eat the pork so I don't have to kill you. They say, how can I defile my body before a holy God? But underneath the spirit of grace, we can eat whatever we want. We can think whatever we want. We can watch whatever we want. We can read whatever we want. No. That's not how it works. The spirit is the salvation of your spirit man. The soul is that the gospel needs to transform 
your personality, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's got to leak from the spirit to the mind. You will not have revival fire last very long when it's just souls getting saved. Your mind needs to be transformed. You need to think different. You need to be different. You need to open up your mouth in different ways. You need to look at your problems in different ways. You got to look at the concerns in different ways. You look at your checkbook in different ways. You look at your house and your lifestyle and your family. You look at everything in your life differently now. So we have to get the power of the gospel from our spirit man. He, he needs to leak and absorb and completely overwhelm our soul. To transform it, to change it completely. Because I'm telling you, if you just have your spirit saved, once you go through the fire, once you go through difficulty, your mind and soul and personality is going to be full of rage and full of bitterness and full of jealousy. And that's why revivals don't last, because they did not allow it to get into the soul. So the spirit, it starts in the spirit, it then goes to the soul, and then yes, it does go to the body. Your health, your vibrancy, your healing. And yes, I know it hurts. Your fitness. Your fitness. You don't have to necessarily go to the gym, but we are to be disciplined in all matters. We are to be disciplined about what we put into our mind, what we put into our eye, what we put into our ear, and also what we put into our belly. Because discipline is what it takes to be a disciple. Discipline is what it takes to peel back the fleshly, carnal appetites. When we pull back the flesh, we're fasting. When we pull back the flesh, we're fasting once a week. And when we fast, I don't know if it has to be once a week or whenever the Lord puts on but if you haven't fasted in a while... I haven't fasted in a while. Your flesh, your body, your shell rules your soul and rules your spirit. Jesus taught you are to fast. You are to deny your fleshly body because it is the part of your body, that, part of, your, of you that needs to be pulled back. That is why God said unto Abraham, all of the sons of Israel, they shall have their foreskin cut off on the eighth day because it is a sign and a testimony that men particularly need their flesh physically and spiritually cut back. That's why the foreskin is cut off the penis. As a reminder, pull back your flesh. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Pull back the flesh if you want to house the presence of the living God inside of you. Beating back the flesh is probably the most difficult because it takes discipline. It takes a lot of discipline. It sucks. Or if I'm allowed to say that, I'm sorry. It just is not good. It really is bad. It's really tough. It's not cool. But it's part of the full God. So I believe that revivals have not been long lasting because we just we get tunnel vision. We say, how many souls can you, how many spirits can you save? Just ring them out. Boom, boom, boom. Check mark, check mark, check mark. No, man, from there is discipleship. Yo, what's going on in your mind? What's going on in your body? You know, when you peel back the flesh, when, when you exercise and you peel back the flesh, 
your soul and your spirit is being fed. You're like, wow, look at this. I have self-control. And if you have self-control in the flesh, which is the weakest or the strongest, you'll have, as you can say, when you have self-control in the flesh, which is the hardest one to pull back, you will, in fact, have self-control in the soul and in the spirit. So we got to talk about these things. Why? Because it's not talked about. I've never heard a revival talking about the tripartite of man. Another reason is because, guys, mankind has been yearning for revival fire for a long time. And it comes. And it's a tease. It's here for 10 years, then it's gone for 50. It's here for 10, and then it's gone for 50. It's here for 10, and it's been gone for 40 now. It's a tease. It's a tease. There is an entire generation, millennials, an entire generation of people under the age of like 35 who want authenticity. They want realness. Dude, what's this whole organic movement about? What is this all like healthy living cleaning products about? And, and, and Norwex and Orbonne and, and all the whole foods and all, what is it about? Young people today are sick and tired of inauthentic things and inauthentic people. It is a whole move across the United States of young people saying, I'm tired of inauthentic things. I want the full package. I want something that's real, that tastes real, that is real. I'm tired of the manufactured tin shop food. I want realness in my life. That's what they're calling for. That's what they're yearning for. And I'm telling you, a millennial is not satisfied with their father's and mother's revival. They're not going to be satisfied with it. Because they're going to say, oh, cool, you want me to get saved? Well, why is your mind so jacked up? Why are you telling me about salvation, but yet you don't care and take care of yourself? I can get better holistic health from going to some new age guy that's going to teach me how to meditate and calm me down, and he's going to tell me how to eat properly. Why is your Jesus better than this guy? And there won't be any response. There'll be response of academic cerebral. Look what the word says. No, show me. Show me that your life is different. Everything about you. That's why we have to do this. They want, the millennials want the whole package. They want the spirit, the soul, and the body. Not just for their spirit to be saved, but for their soul, their mind, their bodies to be saved. I am telling you, a revival is going to happen. And I want to be a part of it. I don't want to just be a part of it. I want to get up to heaven and be like, Dave, you were one of the ones who ushered it in. I don't want to just be, be surfing off the wave of other great men and women. I want to be one of the ones that causes the wave to go forth. Grab my inheritance. Grab my crown in heaven. It's coming. Are you going to just receive from it or are you going to be one of the ones who brings it forth? Are you going to be one of the ones that get up to heaven and God is like, oh man, 
You know, you and that little church in Bristol, your prayers, your worship, your crying out, the decisions that you made in your life to fast and to pray and to pull back the flesh. Do you know that all of that came up to heaven and it was in the incense of bowl, which it says in Revelation, we looked upon it and our hearts in heaven were moved to respond to your actions on earth? That's what I've been called to. That's what you've been called to. It's not enough just for your spirit to get saved. It's enough for your incense to go up to heaven and say, Father, we rend our hearts. We rend our minds. We rend our bodies. And we pull back the flesh. We pull back the mind. And we say, come, Lord, Jesus, and change this world. But you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. When you spend all your time playing video games. You can't, you can't when you spend all your time reading Time magazine. And you can't, you can't when you spend all your time eating tasty cakes. It's not going to happen. It happens when a generation says, there is one thing that I ask. There is one thing that I want to behold the beauty of God and to inquire of him inside of his temple. One thing I ask is to pull back my flesh, to take away my presumptuous sins. Why do I hide in a book? Why do I hide in front of a TV? Why do I hide behind potato chips and cheesesteaks? Tell me, Lord Jesus, and let it rise up from the soul, man, into my body, and let me pull back the flesh and say, I give you it all. That is a generation. That's a generation that chooses not to bow down their soul to an idol. A generation of Jacob. A generation that seeks and wrestles with God. That's what we need to be. To usher in the revival that we like to talk about. It's coming. Isaiah 60, Kumi ori kiva orek bekavod Adonai aliak zarach. Arise. Arise. Shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Talking about a great revival. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And then, Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory, your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your morning shall be ended. And also your people shall be, be considered righteous. Joel chapter 2 and finishing up today. Because <clears throat> it's coming. It's a matter if you want to be a part of it, or if you want to just receive from it. I want to be a part of it. Lord Jesus, come, pull back my flesh. Lord Jesus, come, pull back my mind. Let me, let me have you be Lord over all. Joel chapter 2, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. 
And also on your servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among, among the remnant, among the few whom the Lord calls. The Spirit of God will fall upon all of the remnant. The minority, the small amount of people who are saying, I'm giving you it all. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving you my soul. And I'm giving you my body. Father, I pray that this word would not be a condemning word. When you call out sin, it it, it can become condemning. Father, your word says that we are to add unto our faith something. Virtue. Excellence. You say through Paul and Thessalonians that we are to pursue excellence and sanctification, not just in our spirit, man, but also our soul and sanctification in the body. So we just want to be real before you and say all of us, all of us have something that we have let go and we need you to revive us, to revive us to want to make the changes that are needed in our life, to pull back the mind, to pull back the personality, to pull back the the body, the flesh. The worship team, you guys can start playing. I just just want to pray right now before we leave. I just want to pray. You have a word? word. Yeah. Um, It was on my heart as we were taking.
Your blood was shed so that I could be transformed into your image. <coughs> so what he's saying is just to respond to the thing that's coming up in your heart and to face it because we have the confidence and the assurance to step in and say, Lord, amen. Come, amen. I'm open. Yes, you are Lord in this area. I haven't been walking the way you would have me walk, and now you're starting to point it out. It might just be a simple thing like, hey, like he said, I'm not going to watch TV tonight. I'm going to read my Bible. How <laughs> about that? <laughs> Amen? Amen. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, go before the Lord. I'm all fired up. I mean, I, I come from a people that, without blinking an eye, will fast for two weeks. Not that I've done that, but I come from a people that do that. We're like, you know what? I just haven't been drawn close to the Lord as much as I should. And so what the heck? Next two weeks, I'm not going to eat. You're like, what? They're like, yeah, I'm contending for revival. Yeah, I'm going to wake up at 4, 3.30 in the morning, and I'm just going to pray and lay out my face before the Lord, crying for the salvation of my family. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, these are people that I run with. These are friends of mine, family members that I have. So I'm hearing things that they're doing, and I'm like, what am I doing? So I hope that today, as Alan was saying, it's not a list of things that you have to do, but that it stirs in your heart and says, why am I not so fanatical for Jesus? That's a tough question. Why are you not fanatical for Jesus? If you're not. That's a tough question, man. So I ask it, and the Lord is just saying to me, it's because you are a lover of pleasure. This is Him speaking to me right now. Because you're a lover of pleasure. Hmm. This is the Lord is speaking to me right now. You're a lover of pleasure. Okay, Lord, what do I do? Well, look at your life and pull back those things that give you pleasure for a period of time. So that you can beat back that emotional tie you have inside of you. And once you beat it back, maybe you can go back to those things. Thank you, Lord. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> worship team is going <coughs> to pray. I'm sorry, worship. If you want prayer... Because this sermon spoke to you, whether good or bad. I get it. Either good or bad. If it spoke to you and you're like, man, I'm really struggling with this. I haven't submitted all things in my mind or my body to the Lord. I need help. I need help. Then we want to stand with you. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me.
I have to be obedient to the Lord. I... In five minutes, you're going to go downstairs. And in five minutes downstairs, there will be donuts. There will be cheese. There will be trans fats. There will be carbs. There will be salts. There will be sweets. Choose ye this day, the scriptures say. Life or death. Life or death. Life or death. Carrots, life. Tasty cakes, death. Spinach, long life in the land of the living. Snickers, death by cardiac arrest. The word is eternal. The word is true in everything, not just in spiritual, physical. Choose life or choose death. I don't want to say that. But I felt the Lord was just saying, come on, I mean, in five minutes, you're going to be able to exercise this. Right? Lord, if I sounded judgmental, I ask for the people to forgive me. But if I have not been judgmental, and even if I was, if it sounded that way, I pray for a Holy Ghost conviction. The truth of the matter is, people will leave and they're going to focus on the thing that hurts the most. And the thing that hurts the most is the body. But we were also talking about a renewal of the mind, the spirit, the mind, the personality, the will, the emotions, what you desire. Father, I pray that today we could just go forth and we could just say that we're going to come before you and we want to walk out in your best for us. And your best for us is health in all things, spirit, soul, and body. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. Like I said, come down if you'd like some prayer, if you're wrestling with these things.